Will you turn with me, please, to the passage which we read earlier in Mark chapter 13? I'd like to consider with you tonight what we find in verses 14 to 27. 14 to 27. Now, it's quite evident from a reading of the passage that this, uh, that this chapter focuses on future events, future events of various sorts. It involves prediction, it involves prophecy, and it involves promise. The prediction refers to the forthcoming destruction of Jerusalem, which would take place about 40 years after this. The prophecy refers to the foretelling of events then, and by extension, through the last days, right up to the very end of human history. The promise refers to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of history as we know it, the end of this world. And the clear theme here, it can be expressed in one word, or perhaps two words, shall we say, be ready, watch be watchful, be ready. You don't know what a day will bring. You don't know how or when things in this world will end, either with yourself or with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ at the very end. In any case, we are so frail, our existence is so uncertain, and the only way we can be really ready for death or, or the second coming of the Lord is to have saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever does not have saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I urge you to seek the Lord while he is to be found and to call upon him while he is near. It's the only way in which you will be ready for death or for the second coming, to have Christ in your heart by faith. Repent of your sins and receive him as your saviour. So the chapter focuses then on future matters. At some points here, the focus is on the nearer prediction. The nearer prediction is the destruction of the Jerusalem and its temple. Indeed, it was a remark about the temple right at the beginning of this chapter that is the reason for this teaching that we have in the chapter. But the teaching can't be confined to that terrible event of the Jerusalem, the destruction of Jerusalem and Jerusalem's temple. It can't be confined to that. Jesus clearly indicates that some of what would be faced then would be found in similar forms throughout the end times between the ascension of Christ and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ at the very end. Clearly, verses 24 to 27, for example, refer to the latter event, the second coming of the Lord. Well, looking this evening at verses 14 to 27, I'd like us to notice two main things. And the first is, notice the prophecy of trials and tribulations for the church. Verses 14 to 23, <coughs> the prophecy of trials and tribulations for the church. And then secondly, the promise of the coming again of the church's Lord, which we have in verses 24 to 27. So the prophecy of trials and tribulations for the church. Verses 14 23. For the greater part, 
we have here a prophecy or a prediction of the Lord about the forthcoming destruction of Jerusalem. This happened under the Romans, 70 AD, as well chronicled, with terrible destruction and death. Terrible destruction and death. It's clear that the abomination of desolation has reference to the, in this instance, to the destructive power of the Roman Empire. Particularly the destructive power of the Roman Empire against the Jews in general and Jerusalem in particular. This would affect, uh, this would affect more than just the Christians, of course, but it would for sure affect the Christians and the church there in Jerusalem. In this teaching, Jesus gives practical guidance for believers at that time. Verses 14 to 18, we have his, 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 his advice or guidance for believers at that time. There are bad things which will happen in this world. And there are bad things which happen in this world. We know that. In this world, we are under a curse. It's a world in which fallen men do evil deeds towards others. We just need to be familiar with our daily news to recognize this. Very, very much aware of it. Not least antagonism towards those who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it has to be said. <coughs> there will be things for Christians to beware then, not only then, but subsequently. <coughs> things for Christians to beware. Verses 21 to 23 have reference to dangers believers will face in the last days. And these verses would not have exclusive application to the question of the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans, but would be an issue for Christians in every age through the last times, in some measure. So there are several lessons here for believers in every age, in these verses 14 to 23. Although their focus is primarily, or in the first instance, the destruction of uh, Jerusalem and the temple 70 AD, there are things working in that connection which will be evident throughout the history of this world up to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there are several clear lessons. There's a lesson, first of all, here for us of the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. The lesson here for the Christian and the faithful church. Though bad things happen on account of sin, human sin, yet God holds the reins. He will not allow things to go too far. This is the lesson of verse 20. The days will be shortened for the elect's sake. And that principle will, will work throughout this history, this period, between the ascension and the second coming of the Lord. Things may get very bad. Evil may seem to thrive. In our generation, we, we find this. Evil is thriving in our land and in our and in our and in, in, and in our, our particular day. There may be serious tribulation and trial to endure. However, he reigns and he will shorten the days of tribulation. No doubt this applied to a particular tribulation 
predicted the Roman destruction of Jerusalem and its temple. By the same token, it will apply to any situation of tribulation in our last times. And this assures us, this teaching here assures us that our sovereign God rules and overrules the worst excesses of men. And there is a consolation in that. There is an encouragement in that when we live through dark days such as we live through today. So that's the first lesson. That's a lesson in the sovereignty of God. But the second lesson is it's a lesson of trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believers are encouraged simply to trust in him and not be overwhelmed. You may be tempted to be overwhelmed by the sort of forces that have been set loose in recent decades of which there seems to be there seems to be no reversal feasible or possible. We may become very pessimistic about this, about the course of events. But believe, believe it. That just, just trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a lesson in persevering and trusting in him. He that shall endure to the end, we read, shall be saved. Not only that, Jesus himself in John 16, 33 said, in the world you will have tribulation, he says to his disciples in this last final discourse in John 16. In the world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So let us never forget that. This is also implicit in the area of teaching in reliance on the Holy Spirit in conflicts and oppression. Verse 11. When he shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought, therefore, beforehand, what you shall speak, neither do ye premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given to you in that hour, that speak ye, for it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. So there is to be a reliance in all this tribulation and trials upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows us. He knows our needs. He knows our frailty. And he is gracious. And the Holy Spirit himself also to, upon whom we can rely. The very real threat in our day in which Christians are under increasing pressure to be mute in the face of politically correct society and rather inclined not to say anything that might cause trouble for themselves. But let us simply rely upon Christ and his spirit that we may not wilt or yield the truth as it is in Jesus. So there's a lesson in trust in Christ. There's a lesson also in taking heed to yourself. This is what Jesus teaches in verse 23. But take ye heed, behold, I have told you all things. And also towards the end of the chapter, watch ye therefore, verse 35, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, and so on. And what I say unto you, verse 37, I say unto all, watch. So there is, a, there is a, an encouragement to take heed to yourself, a lesson in taking heed to yourself. It applies to the, direct, to, to the disaster predicted for Jerusalem under the Romans. It also applies to believers facing tribulations and trials from antagonistic authorities in every age, in every, in every uh, church and state. Watch out 
he says, for false Christs, false saviors, false prophets, verses 21 and 22. Watch out for the cults and the false religions. Watch out for deceivers. Peter also speaks of this in his second letter, chapter 3. And if we're not to be deceived, we must know. Know what? Know the Lord Jesus Christ. Know the truth. Know the word of God. Know the Bible doctrine. Or else you'll fall prey. You'll fall prey to deceptions. And there are many deceptions around today. In the world and in religion. There is deception of evolutionary theories. The deceivers of cults and liberal theology. Liberal theology which denies the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ and his virgin birth or resurrection as historical events. Be careful. Be watchful. Take heed to yourself. But then there's also a lesson about divine judgment here. Divine judgment. The Romans were responsible for the terrible destruction of 70 AD. It is said that one million people died in that terrible destruction in Jerusalem. Terrible act of inhumanity and evil. There's a judgment coming, however, which is terrible, but perfect and just. It is the final judgment. The final judgment, the last judgment, in which all will be finally judged. All of us here and all out there, be they ever so ignorant or indifferent to what is going in, on in here or what is taught in the Bible. There is a judgment day coming. We must appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive for the deeds done in the body. There's a clear teaching of Scripture. <coughs> but then... The most important factor is, in view of the fact that there is a judgment coming, is to be right with God, saved by grace, repentant for sin, and trusting in Christ. Apart from that, apart from that, there is only a fearful expectation, or we might say anticipation, of judgment. But then there's another lesson here as well in this part of the, the teaching here about the trials and tribulations of the church of the Christians and there's a lesson about the gospel <coughs> the situation was, ex was, was extremely dangerous it goes without saying it was extremely dangerous for those in Jerusalem at the time of the Roman sacking of it but the situation is extremely dangerous for people living through any age and facing divine judgment but listen, there are those who escaped the devastation of the destruction of Jerusalem. Those who heeded the ex exhortations that Jesus gave. Those who had heed heeded the exhortations that Jesus gave avoided the destruction, the temporal destruction of Jerusalem. And there will be those who escape the threat of eternal punishment. Those who today heed Jesus and the gospel's exhortations to flee from the wrath which is to come and trust in the Saviour as their sin bearer. 
and Saviour. And so there are various lessons in connection with the prophecy concerning the tribulations and trials. In relation to the nearer event of the destruction of Jerusalem, but also throughout the whole period, in some measure or another, such tribulations, such, such trials will occur in the lives and experience of Christians and impact upon the church. But there's a second point here, and it's from verse 24 to 27, the promise of the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. These verses go far beyond the destruction of Jerusalem uh, to the focus of Christian hope with reference to the future. What is the focus of Christian hope with reference to the future? It is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of history, the great day of the general resurrection from the dead and the judgment day, the coming together of souls and bodies all for a divine judgment which is perfect and just. It's the last great event of this world, we could say. And it's clear that Jesus draws a comparison between the two events. What happened with reference to Jerusalem and um, the temple and what will happen at the end of human history with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or at least he uses the prediction of the destruction of Jerusalem to teach about an even more cataclysmic event even more decisive event, his own coming again at the end of the world. So what can we say of it? Several things. First of all, it is something promised. This is uh, implicit in these verses. It is explicit in the New Testament. For example, in Acts, when Jesus takes leave of his disciples at his ascension, the beginning of Acts of the Apostles, he says to them this, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. That is clearly teaching us. This is a Christian doctrine, a Christian expectation, a Christian truth. Christ is coming again. Christ is coming again. We are to be ready for it constantly because we don't know when he is coming. In his second letter, Peter is obviously thinking of the fact of the second coming of the Lord as a matter of promise when he speaks of the end of the world. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slack, some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all that is elect should come to repentance. And this is a promise that we still that will still wait to we still wait to be fulfilled. It's a mark of a Christian believer that they think upon it and hope for it and look for it. Think upon it, hope for it, look for it. Is that true of yourself? Is this something for which you are longing that Christ should come again? Being ready for it is surely something, the most important thing in anyone's life. Surely the most important thing in your life is to hope for his coming with a hope of substance because it is revealed to us that this is the last cataclysmic event 
very interesting that people are all full of global warming and climate change and that. They don't realise. They don't realise it's all going to be burned up. It's all going to be burned up. And there's a day of judgment coming. Far more serious than anything that might be happening in this area of global warming. These things the Lord has in his hands. And people ought to take, examine themselves and consider what they are doing and what they are thinking and where they are going. It's a mark of a Christian believer that they think upon it, that they, that they hope for it and look for it. So it is something promised, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But also it will be dramatic and cataclysmic. His coming will be accompanied by dramatic events in nature. Verses 24 and 25. These days after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. The stars of heaven shall fall and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. It will be highly visible and powerful. Verse 26. Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And this event ushers in the final judgment that we've spoken of. I think we have perhaps um, most vivid pictures of this in the second letter of Peter, chapter 3, and of course the book of Revelation as well. In 2 Peter 3, there's a section which outlines the dramatic nature of the events in nature then. This is what we read in verse 10 of 2 Peter 3. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Well, that puts uh, things in perspective, doesn't it? Attachment to this world, it puts it in perspective. And we get very attached to this world. But in the book of Revelation, we have an insight into the reaction of the people alive when these things occur. Listen to what we read in Revelation. The kings of the earth, the great men and rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, but not only them, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? Who is able to stand? You? Who? Those gathered by the angels, those united to Jesus, those with a living faith in Jesus. When thou, my righteous judge, shall come to fetch thy ransom people home, shall I among them stand? Shall such a worthless worm as I, who sometimes am afraid to die, be found at thy right hand? Yes, indeed, if your faith and hope and love are placed in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Saviour and Lord, 
What a wonderful thing the gospel is. What a wonderful thing it is. What a wonderful expectation there is for those who trust in the Saviour. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that we're immune from tribulations and trials. Far from it. But over and above that, there is the eternal and everlasting hope through grace. But then, in relation to this promise of the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ, not only is it something promised and will be dramatic and climactic, it will be the fulfillment of the believer's hope. The fulfillment of the believer's hope. Of course it will. It's that picture that we have in verse 27. And then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. The gathering by the angels. Think of it. This no doubt refers to the gathering by the angels of those believers alive at the very end and the gathering up of the bodies of the believers whose remains are in the earth until that day of resurrection and judgment. Either way, this is the fulfillment of the promise for all the redeemed of the Lord. But is this really your hope and expectation? That's the question. Only if you are Christ, my dear friend. Otherwise, if you're unsaved when you die, if you're unsaved when you die, if you never come to that living faith in the living Saviour when you die, your soul will be irrevocably lost to be reunited with your raised body for a lost eternity where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Question is, are you ready for death or for his coming. With Christ in your heart by faith, yes. Otherwise, no. That's where the gospel comes in. Calling people. Inviting people. To come to him. <coughs> Put your trust in him. To have Christ for yourself. By faith. So this chapter then ends with a wonderful promise for Christian believers. Even in the face of the cataclysm of the last day. We have this continuing from verse 27 down to the end of the chapter. On the same theme. And our theme is watchfulness. Watchfulness. But also hope. There is hope nowhere else for this world. Nowhere else. People have hopes. They tend to rely upon their hopes. Hope to do this and hope to do that and hope to do the next thing and hope all things go well with them. But there's no substance in these ultimately. Only in Christ. Only in the gospel. Only in the word of God. Only in the truth concerning Jesus. In verse, uh, there's a verse in 2 Peter 3, a wonderful encouragement to any to come to Christ. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But is long-suffering towards usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. While there is still a day of opportunity. So I say to those of you who make profession of Christ, 
those of you who make profession of Christ, I say to you, look for his coming and live in the light of it. This is something that is, that is spoken of by Peter in that third, that third uh, chapter of his second epistle from verse 11 to verse 13. Seeing then that all these things are, will, shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, conduct and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. That is the call to you, believer, in relation to this theme of the second coming of the Lord, the next great inbreaking of divine revelation in this world, when Christ will come again, accompanied by the holy angels, and all the saved will be gathered up. The, the earthly remains of the saved being raised and reunited with their souls for glory. And the others who have gone to their own place and stand there unbelieving, they will go to a lost eternity. This is the, the point, of course, to those who make no profession of faith. Be watchful for your souls. You don't know what a day will bring forth. You are to be right with God today. Not tomorrow, today, today. This is the day that God has given for you to respond to the calls and pleadings of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't know when, what a day will bring forth. Be right with him today through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way to make sense with things in this world, in these last days, is to see them through the spectacles of Christ's teaching, such as we have here. And having him as saviour is the only way of having a godly hope for this life, in this life, and for the next. And may the Lord bless these thoughts upon his holy word. Let us pray. <coughs> Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word. It searches our hearts. And we pray that Thou wouldst bring home to us the hope of the Gospel, the expectation of the coming again of the Lord, the realities of divine judgment, that we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But we pray that Thou wouldst grant Thy grace to, to our souls, that we would do so, that we would draw near to Thee, with that grace and mercy that thou hast given us in the gospel. Graciously bless us then with spiritual blessings. Graciously bless, graciously bless us with a complete reliance upon Christ and him crucified. Graciously help us, Lord, to trust in the one who is coming again. And Lord, grant that as we go through the wilderness of this world, we will go through recognizing that here we have no continuing city and looking to Jesus, 
as our Saviour and Lord. So bless thine own people through thy word and save the unsaved, forgiving all our sin for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Let us sing in conclusion in Psalm 50. Psalm 50. The first version of Psalm 50, the short meter version of Psalm 50, and from the beginning to verse 6. <coughs> from the beginning to verse 6. The mighty God the Lord has spoken and did call. The earth from rising of the sun to where he hath his fall. From out of Zion hill which of excellency and beauty the perfection is God shined gloriously. Our God shall surely come, keep silence shall not he. Before him fire shall waste, great storms shall round about him be. Unto the heavens clear he from above shall call. And to the earth likewise that he may judge his people all. Together let my saints unto me gathered be those that by sacrifice have made a covenant with me, and then the heavens shall by his righteousness declare, because the Lord himself is he by whom men judged are. These verses of Psalm 50, the first version, the mighty God the Lord has spoken, and it called.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.